Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jana Hill. And today, we are journeying deep into a world of washed-out madness. Excelsior! I have been silently anticipating this since we announced our winners. Yeah, not even our winners, since we announced our picks. Yeah. Because as much as I wanted to touch on Major X, because it would have given us an excuse to, like, talk about Liefeld then, now, and, like, whatever's going on there, this... I think is going to be more interesting. Yeah, I think this is definitely a more interesting comic. Like Major X is like spectacular and bad, but in a less interesting way than this, which is like a really interesting failure in my opinion, but like with a lot of talented people involved. And see, I don't think it's a failure. That's I think it still well, succeeding. I, I guess I'm, I'm playing I'm playing my hand a little early, but yeah. I, I it's a it's a close call for me. Maybe I could I probably could be persuaded one way or the other. I also I feel like um, Dimension Z was my pick and I haven't returned to this comic since it came out in when did this come out in 2012? Yeah. Yeah. So you weren't yet reading Marvel comics when this. So this. Oh, so actually we're talking Captain America, Castaway and Dimension Z. Uh, the writer is Rick Remender. The artist is John Romita Jr. I don't have the rest of the credits in front of me, but I'm sure Elias does. Oh, no, I didn't. I forgot oh. to prepare it. It does have pretty much the same creative team through all four issues. I got it. I got it. It's um, Remender's writing, Ramita Jr.'s penciling, Klaus Jansen on inks, mm-hmm. Dean White on colors, yep. and lettered by Joe Caramanga. Yes. I think there might be a couple issues where they added a couple more inkers. Scott Hanna usually. With oh, Ramita, right? Yeah, with Ramita. A bunch of his mainstay inkers and a bunch of Marvel mainstay inkers joined in the middle there but the rest pretty much the same team throughout yeah so which is simpler than uh, anything we've Thank done in God. a while right Every, yeah. everything we've done is had like fifty thousand creators so marvel now is a very important marvel moment and there was that episode we recorded way way back in the day i think we all quite liked marvel now right yeah marvel now was a eclectic starting point but it was where a lot of really fun runs began. Yeah, a lot of I, I we were on uh, multiversity. We uh, returned to Marvel now for an anniversary. And I mm-hmm. remember a lot of those comics really hold up well. I've, I'm yeah. in my room right now where I record. I have a poster of um, Avengers Arena number one. Yeah. And that's got the Marvel, which is a, the, the cover, the poster or the cover is um, a parody of the Battle Royale book cover. Oh, yeah. I've got that on my shelf. Yeah, I got the trade, too. I love that comic. But um, that's the um, the poster on my my wall there has the Marvel Now logo and Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's Young Avengers, which was a really important mm-hmm. comic to their whole career. That was a Marvel Now. I think Matt Fractions and uh, David Aya's Hawkeye started then. And Hawkeye and um, Kelly Studeconic's Captain Marvel both predated Marvel Now by a couple of months, but mm. were kind of retroactively given the banner. Gotcha. I think Thor, the God of Thunder, also was part yeah. of that. Jason Aaron's Thor, that was the Jason. That first issue um, converted my friend Rob from a DC guy into a DC and Marvel guy. Ooh, that's powerful. Yeah. So, and that also. So, Rob was my uh, coworker, my good good friend at Midtown Comics, and I, where I was working in 2012. So. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why Marvel now is so like just imprinted on me is I had to sell these books, and I was. 
just new, just started then. I really wanted everyone to think I was doing a good job. So I read everything from Marvel Now, and I like really got into it. Okay. There's not a single Marvel Now title that I missed, I think. So that includes this, although I would have been interested in reading this story anyway. Elias, what's your history with Mr. Rick Remender? This is part of that history. This series right here. Uh, We talked about it when we did Frankencastle. That's right. That's Remender, too. Yeah, but we... my I first encountered Rick Remender through the series Low. It started coming out with uh, Greg Ticini, and I really liked it. I wanted to keep reading it. I started reading Deadly Class, and then they had a sale on Comixology for his Captain America run. So this was like 2015, 2016? No, 2014, 2015, I think. Like It was just ending. I think his Sam Wilson had just started or had ended and i think that was all new all different captain america or just all new captain america i don't remember it got weird the problem was marvel now you're like well this is stupid but at least it's uh it feels descriptive it's Mm -hmm. it's a banner but then they get all new marvel now and you're like well that's a little bit less uh, sticky a title because it's just a bunch of extra words and then they get all new all different at that point it's like do you guys understand what about this was good i think not and they did Marvel Now 2.0 at some point. Yeah. Why did they think that the word now, which was the weakest part, the only reason it was good was because it was like. There was tonally, nothing else. Well, and that, yeah, there was nothing else. But like tonally, the line is coherent because those two titles that uh, we mentioned, Captain Marvel and Hawkeye. Mm, yes. I think those kind of set the tonal templates for a lot of the Marvel Now stuff, which was more in line with the MCU. Mm-hmm. But all the books were a little bit quirkier. They tried to have a little bit more character. They um, they got much more lax about like art house styles. Yep. And the books started looking really unique in a way that at the time DC books did Mike not look Allred as. Mike on Silver Surfer. Yeah. Well, and they, that, uh, he, it was Mike Allred on FF in this first batch of books. Silver oh, Surfer came yes. a year later. Yes, yes, you're right. But yeah, but like, so we're just getting like a Mike Allred uh, weirdo Fantastic Four book, which which still feels special. I think it's, yeah, it still feels special. So uh, I read this, God, I read this run on my HTC One at summer camp. Is that some sort of ancient tablet? It was my smartphone. It was the very first smartphone I ever had. I was very resistant to getting a smartphone. I liked having just a flip. I was like, what do I need a smartphone for? Uh, And this wasn't in like the iPhone is the only phone out there. This was like smartphones were starting to really pick up. And I was like, I don't need it. I like my, my slide phone with a keyboard. I don't need more than that. We weren't, we weren't paying for mobile data. Uh, (laughs) So I I got one uh, at the assistance uh, at the insistence of my then girlfriend. And I mean, it was it I needed one, at, but it allowed me to read comics and I got to read it while at my job as a camp counselor. Uh, this is all terrible to hear because um, I didn't get a smartphone until after I graduated college. Yeah. But what year was that? <laughs> uh, I graduated in 2011. Yes, yeah, so that was three years before I did, at least. Yeah. Oh, yes, I, I am aware of how old that is. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of what I'm noting here. Yeah, but then you say that, and you've got six year olds going. You mean you don't have an iPhone yet? <laughs> I also was late to the game with that stuff. I I got texting when I was eighteen. That was a huge deal. Mm, yep. 
Anyway, I wanted to. So we talked about Rick Remender. I I am now Rick remembering. <laughs> Um, when we did Frankencastle, but I kind of want to touch on a couple of those points again, because, um, they are specifically related to this series. Yeah. And they're pretty important to it too. Yeah. Okay. So Rick Remender before Castaway in Dimension Z, before he was announced on Captain America, um, had done a bunch of Marvel work, including Frankencastle, but his signature book. And for my money, I think probably still the best comic he's ever done. Okay. Was Uncanny X-Force, where he worked with like a murderer's row of interesting artists. Okay. That's the one where it's about um, Archangel and uh, Betsy Braddock are the two main characters and Wolverine and Deadpool are there too. And Phantom X. Sure. I'm just going to let that wash over me. Well, you, you should read this run. It's it's, a, it's probably the best X-Force run ever, in my opinion. But it's like a, it's like this dark, brooding, gothic epic Deadpool is in it as a serious character who just like knows good jokes, like knock knock jokes and shit. Oh, wow. That's weird. It's weird. And it's one of my favorite um, voices for Deadpool ever. He's really good. He asks uh, Wolverine, how many uh, how do you kill the entire circus? You go, you go right for the juggler. <laughs> this is the quality of Deadpool's uh, quips <laughs> in Uncanny X-Force. Yeah. Incredible. Okay. Okay. Wolverine tries to teach young Apocalypse about Buddhism, so Deadpool buys him porn. <laughs> He's just like, this Buddhism's not going to help you uh, relax at all, kid. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can say other, I can keep going. This is one of my favorite, one of my favorite books ever, really. Uh, but so like high praise, I am high on Remender. And then this comes out, and I remember being a little bit less high on this. I thought it was a great idea. I thought the pitch was great. But then I started reading it and I didn't love the Ramita art. And then by the end of it, I had cooled significantly on Remender. And that's kind of the beginning of it, his slow decline, because then he starts every book he does for Marvel is a little bit less popular, a little bit more controversial than the one before it. Yeah. And then there was what I believe drove him away from Marvel uh, to date. He has not returned at all. No, he's never going to. He has made it very clear that he does not want to return to corporate comics or Marvel in particular. Yeah. Uh, he When he founded his new giant generator studio, his letter kind of had like two middle fingers in it, like hidden. Not hidden, hidden, but. Which is a common fingers for Remender. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I just wanted to mention that. Um, so based on this comic and for plot details, I think we'll talk about in the second half of the episode, um, mm-hmm. there was like strange diagonal accusations that um, Rick Remender's Captain America story was like endorsing or uncritically portraying pedophilia. Oh, right. And um, from what I understand, uh, Marvel did not do a great job at protecting Remender when he was going out there or like uh, cushioning him in any way or giving him any support in this tough situation. Mm-hmm. Shortly before that incident, there was another controversy where um, Remender was writing Uncanny Avengers and people thought that Remender was endorsing the political perspective of Alex Summers of Havoc in that comic, who is a proponent of uh, assimilation. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, was a crazy criticism. It was like a one character who is the stupidest character in all of Marvel Comics <laughs> saying something stupid and like... Um, is that the M word? Yeah, that's the M word scene, the the infamous scene. I mean, it's a stupid scene. It Well, it's a scene of Havoc being stupid, but I don't think that makes the scene stupid. I think that's consistent with that character's voice. 
Okay. And like within that within that scene, Rogue challenges him on those ideas because Rogue feels differently. Uh, by mm-hmm. the end of the run, he's been pretty thoroughly uh, schooled by his teammates who all have different notions. And that was the strength of that comic was like uh, different ideologies bouncing off of each other, I thought. Mm. Okay. So I always thought that was a bad faith reading, but for a number of reasons, like one talking about um, making a one to one comparison between X-Men and any struggle of a marginalized group is always going to be a little hairy. Yeah. So like maybe being um, deeply committed to that idea is not the best. But yeah, that got out of control. And then there was the accusations that um, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, who becomes Captain America eventually in this run for the first time. Mm-hmm. It has a romance with a character who, by some definitions, could be said to be a child. Upon rereading this, even less that if which character was that again? Who that's that Falcon was hooking up with? Yeah. Jet Black. It was that Jet? Yeah, that's Jet. OK, yeah. Yeah, no, that's silly. It's silly. Now, I think that the Havoc scene in Uncanny Avengers is like. Not irredeemable. It's not the best piece of writing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. The the Sam Wilson jet black romance is bad. Like it is not well written. It's very confusing. The scene that people had trouble with um, jet black is talking about. This is not the first time she's tried champagne, but that doesn't make any sense because she's from this hell dimension. Right. Yeah. So just like he seems to have forgotten who the character was like. I'm not defending the comic, which I think is really bad. I think it's a huge uh, worse off than this one. That happens in the what then? The, what do they call the middle arc? I think the middle arc is all new Captain America and then it's all new, all different Captain America. Oh, no, no, no. no. Um, I think they call it Iron Nail. I think that's the next arc. Oh, yeah. That's it the doesn't the become. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Iron Nail is a little bit works a little bit less than this. And then the Falcon stuff is disaster. Actually, I think those comics are hugely misguided, but not for pedophilia reasons. I just other reasons. He only wrote six issues of those uh, Sam Wilson ones. Because there were 25 issues, that was Cap's time, and then he retires at the end because he becomes old, and then Sam Wilson takes over, Remender writes for six issues, then what happens? Because he's gone. Remender leaves. Then uh, Secret Wars is what happens. Mm. That's why any time you're seeing a short run from that, you've better figure it was Secret Wars that ended everything. Yeah. So he had more issues? With with Sam Wilson, the number remember? No, I don't think I don't think he comes back after I after Secret Wars. I yeah, I think that's where Remender exits. Yeah. Um. So it's not a lot of issues with Sam as the lead, but Sam um as Captain America and like unknowing these these Dimension Z characters is built up throughout the whole run. Yeah. And, and I'm counting the multiple volumes of the run just because there was a renumbering or a new character doesn't mean it's it's different to me. Gotcha. Anyway, that's how I wanted to tee up Remender because um, all of the, I think like the where this ends up is almost as interesting as where it starts. OK. And then we also need to touch upon a guy who we devoted half an episode to John Romita Jr., J.R.J.R. Uh, how much do we want to get into him? Well, I don't think we need to like give a biography because we did that very thoroughly. And you should go back and listen to our episode if you're interested in that. But mm-hmm. I want to talk about his art style, I guess. I am opening up the covers to uh, from this run issues number one, two, and four. I don't know if you have mm-hmm. easy access to those. I, I might. Let's let's see if my Amazon account will let me. I'm dropping them in the chat that we're doing right here. So you please, to, please you, do save me far. from trying to fight their reader. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But these are a couple of John Romita Jr. covers. 
Yeah. So the cover to issue one is the first image you see. And at this point, I've read the solicit. I know that the pitch is that Captain America is going to go into a weird dimension. And I think that fucking rules. This is right at the beginning of the MCU. So like grounded, realistic superheroes and their relationship to the state is like what we're into right now. So remember Mm -hmm. being like, I'm actually going to do the opposite. I'm going to do a kooky sci-fi adventure for Cap is a great pivot, I think. For sure. But that cover gives me a lot of pause. So first of all, if you look up at his fist, his fist is, his fingers are all like rectangles. There is no roundness to any part of his arm. Oh, yeah. The proportions on this cover are uh, not great. Yeah, like almost as bad as some bad Liefeld proportions, I think. Yeah, the the more you look at it, the worse it kind of gets. Like at a glance, it works. I think like the posing, I think the shadowing, all of that stuff, it's well composed. Yeah. It's just poorly drawn. Yeah, and like, I, so like the his shadow- elbow, his elbow looks like it's been attached and then reattached. And it's just everything about him looks Awkward, which I don't know. Maybe that was the point to make him seem off, but he's I don't got, think so. Well, he's got that big hunchback. It looks like he has a huge tumor mm-hmm. on his right shoulder. Yeah, you of mentioned his armor. You mentioned the shadow, um, and so he's standing in shadow. You can't see his face, which I I agree. That's a cool idea. But then if you look at his face, uh, his eyes are visible, but so is the skin around his eyes. Yeah. So it doesn't look like shadow. He's wearing a ski mask. Yeah, he's got like a balaclava on, but you can tell it's shadow because also the darkness, you know, covers his torso a little bit. Mm hmm. So I think that and furthermore, you look at the background, uh, you can see there's like a little silver tower in the distance. There's all the there's like a beige rocks. There's kind of like a beigeish orange sky. And he's standing on a pile of not very detailed like robot garbage. Mm hmm. Like the kind of shit you would see in the. Uh, the gritty Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon from the 90s. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. If somebody who's listening to this got very excited because they knew there was two different Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons in the 90s and one of them looked like Cyberpunk Nightmare. I was you you could have also pulled from Battle Angel Alita. Yeah, it does look like like the movie specifically. Yeah. Yeah, but so I hear Captain America lost in an alien dimension. I'm like, great. I hear John Romita Jr. is doing it. I'm like, oh, that's the guy who did Kick-Ass, right? And he did a bunch of stuff in the 80s. All my friends at the comic store seem psyched about this. And then I see this cover. I'm like, the fuck? This doesn't make me excited for the alien um, dimension. It looks like the most boring video game level I've ever not played. Oh, no, it does. It looks like just doom ported over. It looks like that one episode of um, Star Wars Shadows of the Empire where you're in the garbage planet fighting IG-88. Whatever. Someone else got that reference. Yeah, I'm that sorry. I did all not. my references, only the real 90s kids would understand, right? Well, anyone Star Wars, I know so little there. And then looking at, I'm looking at the cover of issue two, and a lot of the same problems are there, but it's even worse. Look at Ian. He's kind of got this like weird. I can't. I can't. <laughs> It's, John Romita children, John Romita drawing children. I, I'm sorry, John, you, they're scary. They scare me. Every time you draw a child, it scares because me. Because this is all about children. I know. Well, and for the, the readers, I want to say. such big heads and such yeah, tiny bodies. Their heads and their bodies are not proportioned. Um, also, they're holding, Cap is holding hands with the child in this cover. And um, like. The, with the, the, where their hands touching doesn't make any sense and also it makes his hand look like it's the size of, the kid looks like he has a peanut for a hand it's yeah, so oh. tiny <laughs> mm-hmm. 
his foot looks like literally a log, like a peg leg. Like it doesn't look like it's a shoe at all. It just looks like kind of a cylinder that gets bent at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Cap is holding. What even is that? Is that a gun? Is that a spear? He's holding like a silver pointy object. I think it's supposed to be a gun. Yeah. And just like, so here is my excitement. I am the number one person reading every Marvel comic right now. I love the idea of this. And all of these covers are making me be like, but do I, is this kind of bad though? And finally, let's go to look at cover four. I skipped to four because this is the cover with Jet Black. Mm -hmm. Now, I think Jet Black's costume kind of rules. It's a great design. The the one on the cover does, yeah. Yeah, it's very Kirby. It looks a lot like um, uh, the Celestials Mm -hmm. or the New Gods. And I love the idea that she's basically mostly built with negative space. She is jet. Her costume is jet black. It's darker than Mm -hmm. anything around it. So um, like that's a cool idea. But then again, her proportions and her posing make her look broken and wrong. And I like the idea of her shoulder pads, but they go down to her elbows. Why not? I guess why not? And then also you can see behind them are like a bunch of like weird Dimension Z aliens. They look so bad. See, I like the weird Dimension Z aliens. I like how clay facey they look. Yeah, some of them, I'm not, the one behind Zola on this cover really looks like Clayface. Zola doesn't have a left arm and I don't know if that's on purpose. Oh no, it's there. It's just blending in with the the one behind him. Yeah, his arms are the exact Gosh. same color as the creatures. Why do all that's these creatures- That's a coloring a- problem. Yeah, coloring problems, too. But this image does not excite me for Dimension Z. Dimension Z still looks like beige paste uh, from this cover. And it doesn't get any less beige pasty. Yeah. And that is fundamentally why I think this comic can't work, because if you're going to do a story about a kooky alien dimension, it can't look like Call of Duty Modern Warfare two and a half. I can't disagree with you. I I don't know. There's something about maybe it's just when when I read this and it hit me, but the devoid of life i mean it's full of life but like the lack of kookiness somehow worked in its favor because i also i I don't know i think of dimension z as like the kooky arc from this whole run even after reading it twice i'm like no yeah that was that was very that was strange but yeah, visually, it didn't do nearly enough as it should have. Yeah, and I think that kind of uh, ultimately defeats the purpose of of doing a cap story like this, which is such a yeah. celebration of the type of cap story that, w- that he knew would be going out of style soon. So this was like a last hurrah. Yeah, I I think I think it supports what Remender was kind of doing plot wise, like when he's tying it up at the end. Visually, it supports that. But aesthetically, I, it was the wrong choice. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that work, especially uh, there's something in the opening that makes me high five a million angels. And we should talk about that. But I think we should first take a commercial break. Marveling at the Movies is a new show on the Multiversity Podcast Network in which I, Alexis, and I, Matthew, force our other friend, Matt, hello, to watch every film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as they lead up to the upcoming Avengers Infinity War. You see, our friend Matt, hello, has never read a comic book in his life, nor ever had any interest in watching any of these films until Black Panther came out. And even then I want to note that I just thought Black Panther was cool and really didn't feel like I had to watch any of these other movies. Which is where we came in and decided otherwise for him. (laughs) 
Each episode features us interviewing Matt before and after watching each film, gauging his knowledge of the characters, seeing what he thinks will happen, and what characters he starts rooting for or identifying with. And then mercilessly teasing him afterwards with all of the comic book knowledge, Easter eggs, and other random nonsense that we know and can hold over his head. Cool. So join us every weekday this April for a new episode full hey, of cinematic back. insight. We are talking Captain yeah, America, Castaway in Dimension Z. <laughs> and this is the part of the show where we're really going to get into the nitty gritty. So Elias, to start, I thought just because I wouldn't want to force anybody at home to read this comic, um, <laughs> I'm going to put one minute on the clock. Oh, gosh. And um, you are going to do your best job. To just like walk us through what happens in this comic. Okay, tell me when. Starting now. Captain America starts off fighting, you know, some random villain of the week. Uh, Remender basically is trying to make uh, some political comment. He always does this. It usually falls on his face. Uh, but it's a good introduction to Cap. He's talking with Sharon Carter. He goes underground. They've you know, found some weird train line that hadn't been active in, you know, I don't know, 50 years or something. He gets on the train talking to Sharon. I think he's going to propose to her soon. You got 30 seconds. He goes and he's thrown into Dimension Z. Uh, He fights Arnim Zola. Who knew? He steals a baby. They then have crazy adventures. I think like a decade passes. Uh Uh, Zola has infected him with Zola virus. Captain America leads a revolution. Ten seconds. Uh, And honestly, I don't know what happens at the end. Sharon Carter shows up and is like, it's been 30 seconds. You've been gone for nothing. And then Zola tries to blow up. Time. You didn't do so bad. I got stuck at the beginning. You got, yeah, you got really front loaded. That's why I thought this would be a worthwhile exercise because we never do this and we should. It, It was necessary. This thing is both very simple and... No, it's just very simple. It's just the plot enough. is simple. Yeah, the plot is simple. There's just enough things that happen throughout because it's ten issues. It's ten issues. It's a lot into ten issues. And I think that Remender, um, you said in your plot summary, Remender sometimes falls on his face when he's trying to do politics. I agree. I think sometimes he uh, doesn't find the tone with that. But I think a lot of the ideas in this are really strong. And I think, mm-hmm. like thematically, I like what some of the stuff he's trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I think he's uh ha- he's not ham-fisted. He is, but not not with that. I think he just he picks weird examples and doesn't know how to strike a good tone for like what he wants to say. It always comes off as kind of patronizing while also being like the most aggressive centrist out there. Well, also but I he's feel not. He he's not. I his, I think we would broadly like his politics, but he's such a Gen Zer that even when you mean Gen Xer? Yes, I do. God, I forgot what I was like. It can't be the one that's the superhero team. It's the other one. Um, <laughs> a Z man. Um, yes, he's such a Gen Xer, which comes across in um, in uh, lethal uh, deadly class. Oh, yeah. Most of all that, like he tries. He's always insisting that he doesn't like really care about the politics as he's writing about yeah. them, which kind of undermines his point. Yeah. That that's what it feels like when like when he at the beginning with the green skull, the green skull, you say this is what has me <laughs> high fiving a million angels. The green skull. Where the fuck did this come from? Where did this guy go? <laughs> and where did he, I don't know. You don't know. The green. I don't skull. know. His secret identity is Cotton Eye Joe. 
<laughs> Even better. Uh, does he ever show up again? I don't think so. I, I, I'm Googling right now because I'm like, I don't think he ever showed up again. But so this comic no. opens with the green skull. Oh, it looks like he did. Ooh. He's in an environmentalist villain, I, I guess. He shows off in Avengers Standoff, which is a pretty good story, actually. Oh, one of the one of the few. It started, it kicked off the probably one of the worst. Yeah, it yeah, it led to some bad things. But um, so post Avengers Endgame, I'm very anti eco terrorist and anything, and I think you're a bad person if you add one. Okay. Like eco terrorists aren't a real thing. Much mm-hmm. I watched How to Blow Up a Pipeline, and I think I want there to be more eco terrorists in the world. So like. Mm-hmm. I, that means I support the Green Skull and oppose Captain America, which is not what you want in a Captain America comic. Yeah. But I love how, like, random this guy is. And um, and how laughably stupid he is. Laughably stupid. And he's such a good palate cleansing tone set for the whole thing. Like, he's got a gun that shoots Omega fertilizer, which makes people, like, grow <laughs> vegetations until inside of them till they die. Yeah. That's cool. It's, that's 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 comic it's book. It's nasty. Shit. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's it's nasty and it's cool. But I so like right away, I'm on the right foot with this comic. I think Green Skull is right kind of silly. Uh, we haven't completely ruined Thanos yet in Avengers Endgame. So mm-hmm. and like if the entire run was about opposing this environmentalist, I would be like, uh oh, but it's such a funny throwaway opening. And yeah, it feels like he was just like, I need something ridiculous that I kind of want to parody, but also don't. Yeah. So here you go. Have the green skull. Yeah. Yeah. So I just this is to me a good sign that Remender um, understands what he's going for. He has a strong sense of the tone he's trying to get to. Mm -hmm. That's good. Then, as you mentioned in the summary, we uh, go down to like the secret subway car thing, which is very the amazing Spider-Man 2 with Andrew Garfield. Yeah. The transition between those two scenes is not well handled and i remember that for the first time i'm like this feels like we had um the first act of a screenplay uh and then 10 pages got chopped out and they forgot to add them back in it felt to me like a bond called open but without the music between the opening and the rest of the movie yeah yeah there probably should have been some credits yeah they should have moved them to the middle yeah and you know what that's the kind of thing that i'm holding ramita responsible for in a mm. comic book collaboration, that sort of like visual pacing, I would love for an artist to contribute. Mm-hmm. But I guess the, the subway isn't as important. Oh, and he's going to propose to Sharon. Yeah, the, I mean, the subway is just a means to an end. It was but basically Sharon's cool like detail. something weird's going on with the shield thing. Go investigate. We'll get dinner. Yeah, another. I just I agree with you. That, that subway car is a cool detail. I, and, and Cap yeah. wanders into it. And that's what sucks him into the portal into Dimension Z. So called mm-hmm. because it is a it is a pocket dimension is technically a pocket dimension. See, I, I don't know. I it was never clear on like the actual specifics of Dimension Z. Is it real? Is it in his head? Is it like my understanding? The way I read it by the end is it was real and everyone else is just stupid for some reason. Remender throws in some line near the end from Sharon being like, it's not real. Zola's tricking you. And I'm like, what? Why is this here? What's the point? All this does is muddy the whole thing. Just let him be in another dimension. And everything looks like mud already. Technically, according (laughs) to Marvel rules, this is a pocket dimension. It is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, but all within Marvel 616. This does not go into an alternate timeline. Okay, so it's just like uh, the portal kind of you, you step through and suddenly time is different in this space that if you looked from the outside, it would just be like 
a tunnel. Yeah, it's like a it's like you're trapped in a snow globe where time is going different. Uh, the vault. Okay. In uh, X Men works the same way. Yep. Okay. Right. That's, that's, that's like one. a physical space, but it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, and time travels mm-hmm. different. Perfect. When Cap gets through, he runs into immediately runs into the ruler of Dimension Z, the villain Arnim Zola. Yeah, who knocked him out because the train was full of his uh, mutants, mutates, mutates. I don't know. He he, he did. Ramita did recycle his uh, deviant designs. <laughs> he just just straight up recycled them. Yeah, a lot of that going on. But um, how do we feel about Arnim Zola? He's a villain. Is he? Or yeah, how do you feel? He's fine. He's fine. He's a big face on a screen. I don't hate him. I don't love him. He's there. I love him. I think Arnim Zola is like one of Jack Kirby's top ten designs. Okay. It's just such a when I when you're it is a very distinctive design. It's the and it's also the kind of design that like a small child would have come up with. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. But like in a really good way, like that's the it's the mm-hmm. kind of thing that like a an imaginative kid would doodle in their margins. Mhm. Yeah. This like hulking robot guy with a face on a TV in his tummy. Yeah. But this comic is starting shortly after the first Captain America movie, a movie where Arnim Zola is played by the great um Toby I can never remember his last name. I know who you're talking Toby about. Jones, that's why. Mhm. The great Toby Jones who also played uh, Dobby the House Elf in the Harry Potter movies. Oh, that tracks. He's a great uh, like creature actor. Mm-hmm. And so he put Arnim Zola in the movies and the movies had like a very good your first meeting with Arnim Zola. He's kind of like a gentle scientist who makes terrible weapons for terrible people. But he himself is kind of cowardly. Mm-hmm. What I love about this is that Remender seems to understand that Zola is a bit of a goofy villain. He's a bit of a Modoc. Yes. And there's something very scary about turning up the menace of those sorts of those jokey villains who seem like they should be easily defeated when they're actually monstrous, but they're still so silly looking. That's like a special kind of scary. And when they are not um, when they're released from the confines of essentially the real world and they get to be as monstrous as they want. Like you can see that Arnim Zola is very much like a manipulator. Yeah. And it's just like a selfish egocentric guy. The entire mm-hmm. dimension is set up to prop up his ego. Yeah. But like, but manipulator is interesting because like doc, I could have been describing doc, Dr. Octopus, Otto Octavius is all those things, mm-hmm. but he's not a manipulator like that. I feel like he would want people like he would directly demand for people to uh, celebrate him. And if they didn't, he might, he wouldn't like try to, trick them he would just kill them or whatever zola uh doc ock but zola is always trying to Mm -hmm. like needle them and persuade them zola thinks of himself as like a very uh charismatic ruler i mean what's what makes it interesting he's very much a nazi toady yeah that's that's like baked into into his dna i think with this it's like well how did how do you get by in uh, and how do you build power inside of, uh, you know, it's the same thing as like a like a not a like any dictatorship, but it, it fits. It's got the added sci fi element of this mm-hmm. is a world the guy can create entirely in his image. What does it look like? Oh, yeah. It looks like, you know, terrible Nazi oppression, <laughs> terrible beige, horrible hierarchies and awful experiments. Now, it is my under, is my impression that Dimension Z was created by Zola and all of its denizens were created by him as well. Uh, maybe. 
I guess. I did not get the feeling that he had stumbled onto a pre-existing kingdom. So he created his own resistance armies? Well, some of the like monsters that he created resented his rule mm. and then rebelled. That was kind of how I figured. I figured like he was just pumping out monsters in that big castle factory that he lives in. Oh, yeah. He, and he could have been doing that for so long that like the a, a society started to form underneath and then he started basically cracking down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. We're going to get more into this in a bit, but I'm just going to tee this up. Mm -hmm. You know, this is kind of the exact same premise as Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. (sighs) This is a much more successful version of a lot of the stuff in that movie. And this this comic is already so compromised, like creatively compromised in my eyes, that that's so damning that Quantumania cannot even rise to the very low bar of Dimension Z. But like... Oh no, it is. Because in Quantumania... They go into this other dimension and then they find out that Kang is there and he's powerful. But like Kang's position in the world never really makes sense. It doesn't I don't understand why he's got like an army and people are rebelling against him. Mm -hmm. At least in this, you understand that what Zola is like and why he's doing this. Yeah. And you've got the added like family drama. A lot of Remender's favorite subtopics. uh, Daddy issues. Certainly. He loves daddy issues. Um, and it was what a what a sterling year for Daddy Issues 2020-12. What a, a great vintage. <laughs> OK, I actually so I think next we should talk about. Uh, so Cap Cre- uh, confronts Arnim Zola and then he um, he breaks free. He smashes the you know, he you know, he's captured. He's not sure what it is, the what's going on. He's kind of dazed. He breaks free. He smashes a tube uh, that was hosting someone that was supposed to be like his clone or something Zola was gonna gonna drain him cap's clone he was like draining captain america dry in order to create another captain america or something i don't know what he was saying to cap but what he was actually doing was he was creating a a son quote unquote uh for him uh to go with the daughter he had created and was going to use captain america's super soldier serum to make him super uh, but Cap steals the baby and and escapes. Yeah, Cap steals the baby and escapes, and that baby grows up to be little baby Ian Zola. Yeah, and Zola thinks the baby is dead. I could have sworn that Zola knew the baby was alive and was lying the whole time, like was playing Cap the the whole time. But that was not how this played out, and I don't know why I thought that was how this plot went. Well, for the same reason you thought that there was a plot in Quantum Mania, it just makes more sense that way. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. So Ian is, um, Ian is like the crux of this entire storyline. Mm-hmm. I-, I think. Yes. So, like, let's let's talk Ian a little bit. What do we, like? What do you what do you just think of Ian? Is he a good character? Is he a good foil? Is uh, he a good concept? He's there. I don't. I don't know. So no, the answer to my questions is no. I guess. I guess not. He's. I don't understand his purpose in this story i think because we keep i I don't i don't even have anything really coherent to say about ian other than the daddy issues thing it's meant he's meant to be a, a a foil to cap in that cap has never had children cap has never really had or gotten the chance to raise a family and that's what started it when he's with sharon he's been thinking about this and now he's kind of thrust into this position without expecting it and now he's trying to remember keep setting it up as like he's now seeing 
things from the other side? Like what, why well, did his dad do the way things he did? And the, the fundamental moment of the cap story is, is losing a child is losing Bucky. Yeah. And we aged Bucky up in the movies, but like, um, he at least lost a sidekick, a younger brother figure. And, um, mm-hmm. now he's a little older and a little bit more experienced. And I guess, um, I found that a little resonant because a uh, cap, like refusing the call of fatherhood is so interesting because he's so upright and moral. He seems very paternalistic. You, you just like, he, he's such got dad vibes and then mm-hmm. for him, but he's scared of actually dadding because it fucked him up so bad. Yeah. Was, was this the case before this run that his dad was a big piece of shit? So I was looking into this. The answer is not really. Thanks, Rick. I don't hate his dad being a piece of shit as a development, though. Yeah, I don't love how the mom kind of and the comic frames it as like defensible. Like he did like he was shitty, but it was because he was broken inside. I'm like, I never got the feeling. Sure. Maybe this is that bad vibe that people pick up on Remender sometimes, but I didn't feel like he was um, excusing the behavior. I just thought he was interested in like what drives men to darkness, which was not very interesting, but I don't think it's. Yeah, I think he he poorly explored it. Yeah, which is weird that, you know, because no one had made him add that element. But no. <laughs> but giving Cap a shitty dad is thematically interesting because because Cap already proves like nature versus nurture, even though his dad was the shitty guy, Cap's nothing like his dad. Mm-hmm. And now he gets to do the same thing, quite you know, with a more extreme version of two dads fighting over their son. And then Jet Black kind of gets stuck. And I like that because that's a great comic setup that we have the mm-hmm. the human drama and then we do like a metaphoric, silly alien version of the drama. Mm-hmm. That's good superhero and remender. You get you understand the assignment. <laughs> Um, we're talking about it. So this is kind of, um, not the very Captain America is a comic that's always going to be concerned with the past Mm -hmm. because it's about a guy who traveled through time, but this comic really gets into showing flashbacks to Cap's childhood, which has become such a tradition. It was such an important element of the, uh, much derided and should have been more derided Nick Spencer run. Yep. And it's a big part of the current J. Michael Straczynski run is doing a lot of these flashbacks, almost exactly the same format as this actually. (laughs) A <laughs> little bit more successfully, I would argue. Oh, I'm 100% more successfully. Uh, Remender is even Remender on his best day is maybe as good as Straczynski on a midday. But just what do you what do you think of this idea? Do you like this element in Captain America of always going back to like his childhood in the 40s? I would say no. But then Straczynski came out and just knocked it out of the park doing it. <laughs> so I can't say I don't because I... I it, Going back to this yeah. made me see how weak the flashbacks here were. Which made you appreciate the the JMS Yeah, ones. which made you appreciate when, when they worked, when they did work, and when they do support it. I think in part because it's in the new stuff, it is both thematically and plot relevant, whereas here it's mostly just thematic. And while I like a good thematic resonance, just constantly cutting back is not, it, it didn't really do all that much for me. And it sounds like you think it uh, slowed down the action a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked some more. Well, I say that, but I really could have done without the two-issue sojourn in, uh, I don't even remember what the city was, where they get captured. I didn't need that. I think it's like Zolaopolis or whatever. Zolandia. Zolandia. Yeah. And where he has to fight and then become the, the head of the 
not the mutates, the head of this tribe, and then they live there for a while. I, I didn't need two issues of that. Yeah, that that felt a lot. There's actually the the famous uh, Cable Raises Hope series mm-hmm. does storylines like this, and I thought those were much more uh, three dimensional and interesting spaces to hang out. Like this was, I yeah, I agree. I was bored by hanging out with these boring characters. Yeah, it, was it more interesting than the the resistance in Quantumania? Yes, but I did get when you were saying it. I was like, yes, this this part was like the most resonant of quantum mania yeah they just yeah. like uh i call them the goo crew just a bunch of guys it's who are good, goo and yeah, it's uh, a good name and yeah and just like uh this would have been an opportunity to introduce me to my new favorite character and instead you introduced me to like snot boy and snot boy's friend <laughs> here's what i wanted to say about the flashbacks though is just that i think i get stressed out when people use that as a plot mechanic because when does Cap enlist? Before he's 18, right? He's like 16 or 17, he tries to enlist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of these childhood years that we're exploring are 16 or 17 years of this kid's life. And, you know, he's a baby for some of those, but just, like, there's so little time there that I feel like every time we're spending a story there, we're just crowding it more and more, and eventually we're going to be full up, and then we're going to be sad that we wasted it with all these boring stories. Yeah. That's always, I get stressed when we get these Cap flashbacks. And... In these in these cab flashbacks here, were these the ones where uh, Erskine approaches him in the hospital and he's dying? I think they yeah we show we see a version of that here. Okay, I couldn't remember. I'm just trying to so yeah as you're saying there is like a what the, the I guess the big the big like mm-hmm. shot that the, that this uh, this story takes is when we have the time jump and suddenly Ian is like a tween. And Cap has been raising him for a decade. And this has just been going on. Cap has been like wandering through this. Like when that happens, you really feel like we've crossed this line that there's no coming back from. Yeah, I like that choice. Me too. That was probably one of the best parts of this arc was decide like because when that hit, it's like 10 years later, I was like, whoa, no ways. Yeah. Because you expect, oh, if he's going to be there six months, maybe a year, and then people from the outside world or whatever are going to find him. No, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And we've we've done this better recently with uh, with uh, X-23, with Laura Kinney and with um, Cinch. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's Sync? Sync, yeah. Good, um, good sci-fi plot device to have them. But, like, it feels really powerful here and... Probably would have felt even more powerful if there was fewer issues. Probably, yeah. The arc is 10 issues. I was going to say, I don't think it could have been done in six. I think if it was done in six, it wouldn't have felt as monumental is the wrong world. But uh, you wouldn't have gotten the feeling that this is the new status quo for Captain America. And well, I like like I do like that it lasts as long as it does. I just don't think he filled it properly. Agreed. Yeah, the dimension is... The week, again, the weakest part. Mm-hmm. I like. I'm skipping past a bunch of issues here, but I guess that's what happens. Well, because nothing happens in the middle. They're running around. Ian's learning about what it means to be human, essentially. You know, Cap's morals, fighting against him. You know, being kind of a, a teen. Uh, like, why? Why can't I do it this way? It's like, well, because it's not right. The kind of building up the again the nature versus nurture. How much Zola is in him? 
Uh, and does that matter? Yeah. And I found that broadly interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think we're moving towards the final, the last stand at Castle Zola, right? Yeah. When do we, we find out that the, that the timey wiminess when Sharon arrives, right? Yeah. And like issue eight. Does she, she arrives before the final battle. She she arrives before the final, final battle, but it's like they're sneaking through this the castle. So Ian gets Ian gets captured. You know, they, they break in because uh, I think they found the cave or the portal or whatever. And Steve's like, I can we can go home. Uh, so they go back to Castle Zola. They sneak in. Ian gets captured and they start brainwashing him. Sure. It's a thing that because he yeah, because he won't join um Zola right away and Cap fights Jet Black and starts convincing her through his actions that maybe what her dad has been telling him is a you know a little bit of bullshit and maybe she doesn't have to rule with an iron fist and kill everything. Right. And then Just and then maybe. that gets followed up with uh Jet Black finally I guess we should describe that Jet Black is uh you mentioned earlier Ian's older sister. Kind of weird that he's yeah, like but Jet Black Zola is her last name or is her last name Black and then Ian Zola. I don't know. Well, doesn't uh, doesn't what's his face want to call him like Christopher or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. What does what does um, Zola want to call Ian? I don't remember. Christopher doesn't sound German. Herman. Yeah, Herman Norman. sounds more uh, German, at least German Herman. Yeah, something like that. And he goes by. He's like, no, call me this. Call me what my dad calls me. You lied to me. Oh, my, my least favorite trope in the oh, really? world is the character finding out something and then just yelling, you lied to me, and then storming off instead of at least listening a little bit. I hate it. I hate it so yeah, much. Okay, I, kinda, I don't hate it as much as you. I was kind of amused. No. <laughs> because it, if it's done well, it's resolved in some way, shape, or form quickly. But like... I just every time I'm like, I want to smack the character upside the head and be like, come on, you have reasons to be angry, but don't just be angry because they nebulously lied and then not at least listen to why or what they say is the truth and then make a decision. You just storm off. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, it's like a cheesy uh, melodramatic thing that happens in these sorts of sci-fi yeah. stories. It's like one of those. Uh, yeah, I, I rewatched uh, Predator the other night. The last time you saw Predator, the original Predator. Yeah, the original. I slept through the middle of it because it was 4 a.m. You saw it at one of your marathons. Yeah, but I saw the beginning, I saw the end, and I saw scattering of scenes in the middle. There was just that there was the moment when they're walking through the woods, and I know that Arnold's about to turn back to fight the predator, and it keeps on moving. Mm-hmm. And he's like, We gotta keep going. And then I'm like, You gotta say and then when he finally goes, get to the chopper. I was just like flipping yeah. tables. I was he said the thing. I was so excited. So that's kind of when he's like, You lied to me. I was just like, get to the chopper, let's go. I was <laughs> I was just psyched that they were saying the recognizable thing and I could point to it and be like, Yeah, I know that thing. Okay. Okay, fair. It's kind of just like my celebration of the melodrama. But yeah, so uh, Cap battles Jet Black, who's like a formidable combatant because Zola has been raising her to be a warrior. Um, But Cap defeats her and then shows her mercy. And um, this really fucks Jet Black up because she she didn't know about mercy. No one had told her about it. And she had been told that Captain America was imperialist evil he's cruel he tortures people he kills without well he kills without mercy 
You would think that in a world where Zola like created everything, he wouldn't pretend to not be into torture and stuff because he's just into it. He could just teach everyone to like torture like him. But it's for science. Cap tortures because he likes it. Ah, yeah, see, or whatever. You see, that's an interesting uh, distinction to make, but the comic doesn't really. I mean, it kind of does, but yeah, not not well. It, you know, because he's always talking about how he's doing it for experiments. Sure. For his experiments. Yeah. That's... And melting the oh the the gross goo pit of former former creatures. Yeah, melted down biomatter. Ugh. Yeah, all cool ideas. I Sick I like stuff. what you're thinking here. If only there was an artist who could capture your vision and then you know draw it so that people could look at it. It looks like it's something. Not not in this era. JRJR couldn't. No. I mean, when you said not in this era, I'm like, excuse me, Jamie McKelvey is right over there on Young Avengers. But yeah. <laughs> Olivier Coppel, not the right artist for this, but he would have still done a great job. Mm. Yeah, we you needed someone that was like, um, I mean, oh, not Edgar Rice Burroughs. That's wrong. Three names did Conan. Barry Windsor Smith. Oh, yeah, Barry Windsor Smith. Barry Windsor Smith would have been great, obviously. Um. And like yeah. uh, Stephanie Hans would have been great. Out. I'm looking at a monstrous poster. Sana Takeda, unbelievable drawing this. Oh, my God. Just like that would have been th- those issues would have taken three months each to come out. Perhaps. And well, I want to come back to the imagining this other world in a second. But um, mm-hmm. so Jet Black is a very sexy baby. She's because we learn here that um, this is Cap learns that although he's been in Dimension Z for 10 years, to Sharon, she just saw him disappear 30 seconds ago. And then she like leaned forward and she's just like, Steve? And it's been 10 years for him. Yeah. And she, oh, she kills Ian. Right. And she shoots Ian in the neck. Um, and it looks like that's it for our boy Ian. We haven't really talked Sharon Carter yet. And I think we should. OK. Just like from the very basic. Do you like the character Sharon Carter? Do you? Wait, wait, why do you feel about this lady? I like her more than well. This is this is a sentence to take out of context. I like her more than Arnim Zola, but I have no the same kind of feeling. I'm like she's fine. She's here. I have no ill will. I don't particularly love the character, but I've I've I'm always happy when she shows so I've up. I've gone around. I've like uh, read some Cap from different eras. Not a ton, but I read a bunch of the '90s stuff. I read some of the Kirby stuff in the '70s. Mm-hmm. And so she. Uh, in the 40s comics, Peggy Carter is like this cool secret agent during World War II. And then in mm-hmm. the modern Cap comics, they create Sharon. And it's like one of these like sexist Stan Lee generation things where it's just like, wouldn't it be cool if he could just pick up where he left off with his girlfriend by her having an identical younger niece who's now sexy? Ah. Right. And then you're kind of like, OK, I see why Stan Lee would have done this. But come on. Mm-hmm. And then, but I never had an affinity to the character. And Sharon Carter is like around in the Cap stories. They call her Agent 13. She's got even has a costume. But Brubaker, which is the run immediately prior to this, mm-hmm. Brubaker is the one who really builds up like a modern character of Sharon who seems like an agent in like the modern day CIA, which until then she had been like a cool sci-fi shield agent, you know? Yeah. But then the movies come along. Haley Atwell is like beautiful and charming as uh as Peggy Carter in the movies. By the time we get around to, oh my God, what's her name? Emily something? The the actress? Who plays Sharon in the movies. Emily. I don't know who it is. And you can hear me typing, huh? Sharon Carter. Mm-hmm. Emily Van Camp. Mm. Emily Van Camp, like, I bet she, you know, I, I she's a good actress and I've liked her performances elsewhere, but she does not have the raw magnetism and star power of a Haley Atwell. That is true. And indeed, Atwell is so appealing. She gets a two season television spinoff where she gets to play Peggy, 
we keep on doing Peggy comics, um, like miniseries during that era. Mm -hmm. Like Sharon is just looking really flat in comparison. And I think that this is the arc that like literally and figuratively kills her potential as a character. Well, yeah, she's here at the beginning. She pops in at the end to make like two or three bad decisions and then sacrifice herself. And then she doesn't show up again until the end of Remender's run when, I mean, we're talking about it. So spoilers anyway, she gets out of Dimension Z and is super old. Yeah. And Cap was there for 10 years, but like he ages slower or whatever. But she was there for like 40 years. Yeah. Um, And she's like a wrinkly old lady now. And this leads to and which is like kind of an interesting status quo that remains for a good long while. I think they even kill her. Uh, doesn't Ta-Nehisi Coates kill her of old age or something? No. No, something. Oh, wait, she, wait, wait it's a fun- there's a funeral, but it's a fake out and she was gone underground. Yeah. And she, I think, got some sort of rejuvenation serum, I think. Well, that was inevitable. I don't know. The art on that. The art on that run is so inconsistent. I couldn't tell you who was who. <laughs> I like the costume in that run, even though the yeah, I, the art is a little spotty. Mm-hmm. But now here's where I kind of want to try to unify this comic a little bit, because we're gonna, yeah, like you said at the end, uh, Ian gets shot in the neck. But then we find out that Sharon and Ian both survived and are continuing to lead the rebels after Cap escapes Dimension C. Yeah, we, we kind of learned that, but we don't really see that here. We get the one panel of Ian as Nomad. Yes. Yes, that's what it was. Which is an old Cap identity. It's got some uh, legacy. I'm into that. That's that's a fine thing to do with that character. Mm -hmm. But here's what interests me at the end of this. Mm -hmm. This is a comic that's interested in like uh, Cap growing up. He's he's not raised right, but he retains his moral core. Ian also is like raised in an unconventional way, has a strong moral core in Jet Black. And also like Cap being like the wrong age and in the wrong time is kind of the i think the core of the entire story he's a man out of time that's the thing they like to say Mm -hmm. this comic really does a bunch of interesting stuff at playing with that like it makes sharon uh lost in time as well and like uh cap becomes unstuck again from his present moment only in the opposite way he like misses very little but he has now experienced a lot like he feels older Mm mm-hmm I feel like at its core, Remender understands what Captain America is like about and um, does a good job at reflecting those themes. And that's why at the end of the day, when I'm writing, looking back at this, I think with I think there's a stronger editing hand that could have gotten Remender to do a better version of his ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think you could send John Romita Jr. to like Spain or outer space or something, send him on vacation and and then um, hire another artist. (laughs) <laughs> and this could have been that's harsh I, I'm, I'm sorry he was like even at his peak i think he's the wrong fit for this comic and mm. he's so profoundly a wrong fit that i kind of hate this comic even though i'm telling you i think that the writing is b plus mm-hmm. maybe b minus I, I can't disagree too much that i i don't know it's just something about john romeo jr and sci-fi that you would hope would work but never quite does it's a shame yeah yeah and this is and this is really the, I think, the nadir of his artistic style, because I like some of his more recent stuff a lot better than this. Yes, I agree. I agree. This he struggles a lot here. This isn't my least favorite work he's ever done, but it's contemporary with all my least favorite work he's done. This is like my yeah. least favorite era of his work. I contend that Klaus Janssen is a bad inker for J.R.J.R., I really agree with you on that. You have and that was your part that you persuaded me in. 
over the years yeah. that they're just badly matched. And I think you're right. Yeah. Which is a shame because I think I think they'd been working together for 20 years or something. Uh, so I don't know what it is. Yeah, but I didn't like any of that. We didn't like that work together. Yeah, just uh, they hit their deadlines on time and the issue sold, I guess. Oh, I meant in like the 80s, like yeah, yeah, no, JR, JR. When he's doing Spider-Man and Daredevil and shit. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So in the end, we return to this comic because I hated it. And now I think it's really messy, but not boring. And I think I would give people who are curious a recommendation because it's like a really cool stab at a cap story that is like ultimately very flawed, but not necessarily boring. Although it sometimes is. It's different, too. It's not the same cap story we've seen twelve hundred times. Um, especially lately, like since this comic, uh, when Spencer took over, like it all kind of kind of became the same story repeating over and over again. Yeah, because, they, you know, America is a more fraught feeling place, perhaps, and people want to uh, do their political commentary on it. Mm. But nobody's had a better idea than be like, I don't know, Captain America is in an alien dimension with a kid. It's a better pitch than anything that came since. I mean, he is leading the X-Men. Uh, he's leading the Unity Squad. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I'll take the correction. I think we're about done here. Do you have any other final words you want to say about Dimension Z? I th- I liked it less than when I first read it, which I was not expecting. I was expecting to like it about the same, but I probably should have realized. I'm like, oh yeah, I, di- I didn't really like it as much then. I think because it felt so different from everything else I was reading, which wasn't a lot, a lot, but I was like, this is really weird for Captain America. And I kind of love it and i still have that feeling but i definitely think that like the construction of the whole thing a lot shoddier than i initially thought but i agree i also i would still recommend this to people with all the with enough caveats to be like it's weird it's not the best written but it's definitely something i think if you like captain america it's an interesting run to 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 read or an interesting arc the rest of the run's a little bit more uh uneven which is saying something yeah it does not doesn't get back on track no all right well i definitely appreciated returning to it and i'm happy we did this should i tell the good people about what we're going to talk about in the next episode I think so. So uh, next episode, which will be Make Mine Multiversity, episode 135. Wow. Yeah. We've been doing this for four years. Yeah. And it's been going on longer than that. Oh, yeah. And next week is going to be my final episode of Make My Multiversity and the final episode of the show for at least a little while. It might spring back a different format, different people. Mm-hmm. And... I guess uh, I'll I'll give like more farewelly messages and where maybe people can find me next time. But so we thought that for the last episode of our run, we should read a story about endings. And so we agreed to read Marvel, the end, a six issue miniseries, I think. Yes. Yes. A six issue limited series by Jim Starlin, also drawn by Jim Starlin. Mm-hmm. So we are going to be reading that six issue series. Marvel has put out a number of the end books over the years uh most recently i read uh, miles morales the end which was in the last couple of years yeah they had a whole uh, month where they did you know four or five new the end shorts Captain marvel venom all that stuff i think they timed into the various runs 
in some yeah. way, shape, or form. And so did the other, the other, the ends will tie into the contemporary runs of when they came out, which of course gets weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. So the most interesting of these is X-Men The End. We are not reading that. That is its own whole thing. That is much longer than the other series. We are just reading the six-issue miniseries, and I was planning on touching upon Hulk The End and Punisher The End, and also that Miles Morales issue. Those are all one-shots, and they're not necessary reading to follow the episode, but I just remember liking those, and I want to see if I still do. Uh, Elias are, might touch upon some of the other ones, too, as if they... Uh, Sound interesting. We'll see. I may end up reading all of them because that's how my brain works. I get you. I understand that project. But yeah, so if you want to follow along with us, we are recommending you read the six issues of Marvel The End. And we're both going to like explore and kind of come to each other with how what we found interesting. Mm -hmm. But that is not necessary to follow the episode. Until that time, Elias, is there a place where folks can find you? They can email me at erosner at multiversitycomics.com. Uh, that's the best place to contact me. What about you, Jaina? Where can you be contacted? Uh, you've heard me mention a couple of uh, places I like to hang out online in previous episodes. But uh, part of me leaving the show is also me kind of uh, leaving social media, taking a little internet uh, reset. So uh, right now, I don't really think people can find me uh, by intention. But maybe one day, if you watch this space, I will rise again. You'll have your P.O. box. It may, I mean, yeah, maybe one day I'll have a P.O. box. But today is not that day. <laughs> well, this episode is edited by Livian Safir. It, uh, our theme music is Excelsior by Carol Romo. And until next time... Uh, maybe for the second to last time, Excelsior. Thank you.